like the sound effect there. Boom. <laughs> yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you draw near. You run towards us when we run towards you. As you promised. If we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And we thank you for your presence in this room. We thank you for your presence in our worship, in our praise, and our thanks. Uh, I want to thank you for the way you've already been speaking to your church this morning and the privilege to tease those things out and make it heard. And so I pray now as we look into your word and continue to speak to your church, wash us with your word, build us up, fill our hearts with your spirit. May we be full of God this morning before we leave this place. Come and fill us afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. In a moment, we're going to be looking at um, 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your passage, please turn there. While you're doing that, I'm going to cite a song. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Tis mystery all, the immortal dies, who can explore this strange design? In vain the firstborn triumph tries, seraph tries, to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angel mind inquire no more. Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angel minds inquire no more. But it is verse 4 that I want to pick up on. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickened ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I want to talk this morning about something that I believe God has already been speaking to us. And it's no coincidence, of course, Gary, that you had to be leading worship this morning. And you had to choose the words and the songs that we have been singing this morning. Therefore, as I said in my prayer, I believe God has already been saying to you what I am now going to pinpoint and pronounce quite clearly as much as I can in what he's been saying in our worship. From the, very, from the second song, our, our mindsets were shifted from God who died to bring eternity home to us. Okay? I want to speak to you today about death. Let me rephrase. I want to speak to you today about hope. Because you see, for the Christian, hope and death are not against each other. And so when Angus was praying that we have no more fear, and of course the last song And when that time comes and my body is frail and and my mind is weak and everything seems like it's falling away, even then, 10,000 years to come to praise my God. Because, of course, death is is the utmost fear in our world, right? So if you can be singing, bless the Lord, O my soul, in the face of death, then surely, as Angus has been praying, we have no more fear at all. But we're going to look at it in how 2 Peter chapter 3 puts it. Let's read. Beloved, I write to you the second epistle, the second letter, in which I, in, in my first one, I stir up your pure minds 
by reminding you of these things, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and by the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Hmm. Scoffers will come. For this they willingly forget, they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word, preserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of the ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the Lord, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but in long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. I promise I have come to talk about hope. Therefore, since all these things will dissolve, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking and sorry, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of our God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven, or look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I'm going to stop there, and I want to talk to you today about following Jesus into an eternal promise or in eternal inheritance. I want to begin by saying that when the God-man arrived on earth, he had this simple catchphrase that still rings true in our lives today. When he saw Peter, he said, Peter, come and follow me. When he sees Nathaniel, Nathaniel says, come and follow me and you see great things. Uh, person after person after person, he says, come and follow me, come and follow me. When another person comes to him and he says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? He says, go and sell everything, give to the poor, and then come and follow me. And of course, the question is, where are you going, Jesus? Where are we following you to? And so when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, he gives two very definite pictures of where he's going, and so we know where we are going if we choose to follow him. Because in those days, when a man carries his cross, it leads to one place, first and foremost, the place of crucifixion, the place of death. And to bring it home a little bit today, Jesus would not say to us, pick up your cross and follow me. He would say something, perhaps for those in the Middle Ages, pick up your, your guillotine and follow me. For those in America, um, in when they used to have 
Capital punishment, pick up your lethal injection and follow me. Pick up your electric chair and follow me. Do you get what he's trying to say to us? He's speaking to those people using cross because he meant something to them. For us, it will be like, what is the thing that you know will kill you? What is the thing that is a sure way of dying? Pick up that thing and follow me. So first and foremost, Jesus is saying, following him is about dying. So, of course, Jesus himself carries his cross to Golgotha, and he dies. And those of you who are doing exegesis are sitting there thinking, where is this in 2 Peter chapter 3, right? I'm coming there, I'm coming. All right, the second place, of course, is Jesus leading to the cross. It's, of course, saying, for the joy set before him endured the cross. So it's not just to the cross, it is beyond the cross, Okay. So Jesus picked up his cross in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross to take hold, scorning its shame to take hold of that joy. What is that joy? I want to put to you today that this is exactly what Peter is writing about in chapter 3. There is a day coming which is made available because Jesus carried his cross to that point of death, looking forward to that joy. And that joy is this. The world that has gone so astray that has been infested with sin and decay and evil is about to be rescued. And he, God the Son, will redeem sons and daughters of this corrupt world into eternal life with God himself. There is a day coming that the age in which we live will close and the new day will open and that day is forever and ever and ever and in that day there is no sin, there is no sickness, there is no disease, there's no grief, there's no sorrows, there's no pain, there is perpetual joy because God the creator himself has made resident in that world. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) All right, good, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. That day is coming, for Jesus picked up that cross to make that day possible. So in our chapter today, in chapter 3, when Peter is, re- is writing his second letter, and um, his first letter he wrote to the church, he says, guys, you know, you are now saved, um, desire the pure milk, you know, grow, mature, add to your faith, um, knowledge, knowledge, godliness, holiness, all of those things add to them, and he's exhorting them to grow in everything that we have been taught and we continue to teach. But in his second letter, he knows he's about to die. And Paul does a similar thing when he writes to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus. He writes in the first one about how to set the orders of the church, what to, to appoint leaders, and to do this and to do that, look after the widows. And when he writes a second letter, he's like, I'm about to die. I've got some important things to tell you. And both of those two apostles talk about the last days. And that's where we are today. And that's where I want to go this morning. When I first came, I remember my first sermon in this place about Jesus on the boat and how he's going to take us to the other side and going through those difficulties and bearing with one another and Jesus will take us there. All of those things are true learning, us all learning to trust him. And I said the most mature Christian is the one who has learned to trust God the most. Your maturity is measured by your trust in Jesus. And all of those things will continue to teach. But today I've come to talk to you about the last days. And in Peter in particular, when he talks about it, 
He's not going to talk to us um, merely about just sitting there and daydreaming about the day to come. For Peter, it is precisely what is needed to rebut um, false teaching, to come against evil conduct, to prepare us in holy living, in holy living, all of those things he attributes to being mindful of the day to come. He gives us a very different motivation of life when he teaches in chapter 3. So let's look at the text. In the last days, scoffers will come to ridicule one thing, and one thing only, the very promise that Jesus himself gave you. And when Jesus ascended, the angels came and they reminded them, this same Jesus who you have seen gone up, this is Acts chapter 1 verse 11, this same Jesus who you have seen taken up will in the same manner return to you. And with that promise, the apostles went and stayed in a room and prayed continually that the Spirit will come, will help them to be witnesses until that day. That promise, that the Son of Man will come and the consummation of all things will be revealed. And then he says, in the last days, that promise is going to be the attack of the enemy. He's going to come at you at that. Where is Jesus? That time he said, I'll be back soon. It's been 2,000 years, guys. You call that soon? Really? And all the evils that you say points to his second coming, those evil has existed from time. There have always been earthquakes. There's always been wars. There's always been rumors of wars. What are you talking about? And then some will say, oh yeah, actually Jesus has come. It's like, oh, because what? We, 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 we want to defend ourselves. Jesus has come. Other people fall into that error. And even then in the scriptures, um, Paul writes to another church talking about, no, no, Jesus has not come because if he does come, trust me, you would know. And then he talks, he talks about it um, in Thessalonians. But the point is this. The enemy comes to you and he wants to do one thing and that's why I've got this chart and I, I want to demonstrate something that the Lord gave me this morning was when I was preparing. When he comes to a world that is blind, he just gives them stuff, okay? He gives them reason to do stuff, reason to either be the richest person or be the meanest person, be, be the most popular person. He just gives them stuff. When he comes to a Christian... He can do that entanglement, you know, that shrinkling and put it in front of you. But he knows the Christian has found faith and his hope is in Christ. And so the first thing he wants to do is weaken that while at the same time tempting you with other stuff. He comes to the Christian at the two-frontal attack. He wants to tempt you with stuff here, you know, everybody around you, look at the world around you and all of this. But at the same time, he wants to weaken your resolution in the faith that you've placed in Christ and the hope you have. And Peter's exhortation to us is not first and foremost just resist temptation. First and foremost, it says, the first thing I want you to do is call to mind that promise and hold on to it. Because as he goes on to say, those things will help you resist the temptation. Okay? So um, this morning when I was preparing, I had this picture, a vivid picture in my mind about everyone in the world going, just climbing this, rat-raised ladder trying to be a somebody. 
Everybody is trying to be a somebody. From the moment you are born, even unintentionally, we do these things. We want to help our kids grow. We want to teach them well. We want to get them into education so they can get better jobs, so they could be good, decent human beings in the world and not be poor and all of those things. And we are setting ourselves up for progress. And there's nothing wrong in that. But, but you'll see in a second when, when I do this. So imagine everybody is climbing this ladder. Everybody wants to be a somebody. Everybody wants to get a great job, wants a career, whether it's marriage and children. Everybody is climbing here to be something. Everybody wants to be something. And our eyes are focused on here, being significant somehow. You know, nobody wants to be a nobody. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All the teachers go and sit at the back so you can't see. <laughs> All right, okay. So there's this constant rat race of going somewhere, particularly in the West. It is so fast. And the richer the city is, the faster they are. Have you noticed that? I've been to New York, and I think I was there for only... Um, how long were we there for, Lorna? Two weeks. Two weeks in New York. And you could see everybody was on a move. And it's like that in London, I guess. Those of you who have lived in the country, you, you, know, you notice the difference, the pace in the country and the pace in the city, particularly when there's wanting to be somebody. Everybody's rushing towards here. But that's not how we began when God made us. He made us to live with him in front of us, in constant relationship. And our eyes were on him. The Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 3, God came to them in the cool of the day looking for them. He's, it, he is on our level, side by side. But when the enemy came and tried to tempt us, he gave us here. He says, if you want to be like this, you've got to look up here. Because what you're looking at is up here. And so everybody turned our eyes off of what God had said and started wanting to be a somebody so we can become like the one in front of us. It's a dirty trick he played. Because in fact, the Bible says, you will become like him as you behold him. Okay? But now he's saying, oh, if you want to be wise, like God. So suddenly, our focus is not God. Our focus is becoming wise. Okay? This is desirable for food, appetite, pleasure. This is good for you. And our eyes went from him, and what he has said to get in this, somehow thinking if we get this, we will have more of that. And that, my friends, mums and dads, brothers and sisters, has been the way the world has been set since that time. The scripture says, therefore, the world has been subjected to futility. Everybody is born in this rat race. By nature, you are born into this rat race. You desire this by nature. It's called sinful nature. So when Jesus comes along and he says, for you to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. He's talking about something significant that will take place on the inside of you that you are no longer pushing for this. But your attention is now fixed this way. And you want to follow God. And this is what it looks like. 
You could be the poorest person or the richest person. You could be, and you want to go this way. And as you're doing that, you may get a good degree or you may not get a good degree. Some people may like you or your gifting maybe is really good. You're a good rapper. You become very popular. Or actually everybody thinks the thing you're trying to do is rubbish. You can become like Jesus who started with nothing and become an incredible teacher, use the gift of the Spirit, and everybody wants to make you king. But because everybody is running for this rat race, when it becomes uncomfortable of praising you as king because you're now saying things that is not helping them get here, you're talking about everybody dying to self, and the people up here are saying, no, Jesus is not the guy. In less than one week, those who are saying, Hosanna, Jesus is king, are saying, crucify him. And he comes right down. And in fact, he goes right down till he dies. But here's the thing. This is the picture of a successful, of a successful Christian life. Notice, when people are praising him, he's moving closer. When people are cussing him, he's moving closer. When he's rich, he's moving closer. When he's down, he's moving closer. Whether he's educated, he's moving closer and everybody's praising him, or when everybody's despising him, he's moving closer. Because his goal is not here. His goal is here. And so Jesus, with the ups and downs, ups and downs, even to the point of death, went all the way and resurrected here. So when Peter, therefore, says, I want you to be mindful of this day, of the kingdom of God in which he has called you to be, he's saying it will help you to live this life. It won't matter anymore what everybody else is doing, what is happening in life, it will help you. This, this is holiness. Guys, this is holiness. The motivation to live a holy life is not legalism, it's not laws, it's not, it's not I am going to try really hard. It is, I want to be here. He has, he has died for me and has changed my heart's desire that I long for him more than this. I long for this more than this so much that if I, even when I'm down here, it doesn't matter. When I'm up here, it doesn't matter because I am going here. And this, therefore, helps you walk the road, irrespective. Peter puts it this way. Because of these precious promises of that day that is coming, that, that the world that we know is going to be burned, but, but, but for you, there is a day coming. Jesus is coming for you and fulfill his promises. Therefore, what kind of life should we live? And he's talking about living this holy life. And holiness, as you can see, as I said, has got nothing to do with the world's view of this rat race going to be insignif- coming to be significant. It's about pursuing this. Um, darling, can I have my jacket? I want to... Just put a different, another picture in your mind quickly before we finish. 
You see, these things that Jesus has been saying, to, or that Peter has been saying to us, he got from the Lord himself. Jesus puts it differently in, in um, John chapter 15, and he talks about this same principle about abiding. Okay? It's about abiding. Everything we do, everything we're pursuing, God says, Jesus said, listen, don't do anything, don't go for anything, just abide in me and you will produce fruit. It's like this. So now you're born again, you're desirous for God, you want to go this way, you're, you're looking forward for that day when everything will perish and a new day will come and your perpetual eternity of joy with God himself will come Because you're looking for that, you rest in God. Abide. This is like you. You you take the word of God like a blanket and you you stay in there. And like I said, everything the devil wants to do from the beginning of creation has been trying to distract you, trying to remove you away from God. That was the first temptation. Take this apple and his pursuit is to remove you from God. And so he will do all number of things. Even with a Christian, he says, if you want to be holy, you know, work really hard. And then you work really hard and people start praising you. And all of a sudden, you're looking at the praise that people are giving you. And, and, then, you, and, and then your focus is no longer God, but you've come out of this and you're enjoying the praises of men. But of course, the thing about the praises of men is it's futile, right? Because all you got to do is fumble a little bit. And you will. (laughs) That's the thing. And when you do, you don't instantly think, God, let me run back and hide in Christ. You think, let me try and sort it out because now everybody's looking at me. And you keep playing this game on this side. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Abide in me. Rest in this place of assurance that God has got you. I use the example of temptation um, How about the example of difficulty? Times are tough. Jesus, I'm trying to trust in you. I'm trying to stay in this place. I'm going for you. But what's happened to my job? What's happened to my health? What's happened to my grandchildren, my children? And and the temptation is to try and work out stuff and you come out of here, try to stable your life and do it your own way, do your own thing. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 abide in me. It, it is a trick. It is a temptation for you to try and sort out your life by yourself. Abiding in Jesus. Let me finish um, quickly. Why does Peter and Paul both end up in their last letters talking about fixing our minds on the promise and that the last days are coming. And brothers and sisters, I want to say that the last days are here. You are living in the last days. Um, scoffers are everywhere. Mockers are everywhere. Um, just turn on your computer and it's, it's everywhere. Everybody is cussing everybody, undermining everybody, all of those things. And of course, when it comes to Christianity, it is just the same. In fact, I have... I have loathed Christian ministries who are set up just to undermine other ministers because they disagree with their theology. It is everywhere. So Peter says, everything that we look at in this world is going to perish. It's coming to nothing. 
Let me say that again. Everything that you're looking at, you can feel, taste, taste, smell, touch, everything you own, your property, your house, your favorite bed, your, your favorite, everything, every, everything, every establishment, every, every car, every boat, every aeroplane, every diamond ring, every gold, every, every equity, every stock that you've got in your exchange, everything will evaporate just like that in a moment. It will. And that's not a threat. That is a promise. It is a good thing. God is going to do that one day, and he will do that soon. And so he says, therefore, mums, dads, brothers, sisters, do not care so much about these things. And trust yourself in the one who holds you because these things are meaningless. And as you, as you rest in that comfort that an eternal promise is giving you that God is coming to make all things well, you can walk well. You can demonstrate the life of Christ well. You can do this good conduct thing well. My final story. The story is told that a man goes to a car boot cell, and in that car boot cell, he finds this precious jewel that he wants. And so he asks the man who is selling it, how much is it? And the man says, um, it is priceless, but tell me what you got. So the man says, I've got, I know, just 100 pounds in my wallet. He says, okay, I'll have that. He says, well, I can't give you all of that. I mean, I, I need to buy petrol. I need to get back home. He says, oh, you've got a car. I'll have that car as well. He says, I can't give you my car. What? Would you, what's my wife going to say? Oh, you have a wife. I have your wife as well. And, and you can see where this is going, right? The man talks out everything he has. And the seller, the merchant, says, I'll have everything you've got. And for some bizarre reason, the man says yes. And he gives him everything he has. And he takes this job. And within seconds, everything around him in this car boot cell almost flips over. And this merchant turns out to be a king. And his army has invaded the world. And the king then turns around to him and says, everything that you have given me, I give back to you and more. Everything that does not belong to me will perish. You know the moral of that story, right? Don't need to explain much. Everything we give and we entrust to Jesus, he keeps. Everything that we, we don't do will perish. So God, this morning, from the songs in worship to the preach, he's saying that there is, there is more to come and everything that we hold dear in this world will perish. And he wants to encourage us to give ourselves for the eternal things and not be so worried and concerned about the things of this world, not even our sicknesses and our disease, because when that day comes, even that will be sorted. Let's pray. Yeah. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you 
that you're a God who speaks and your sheep knows your voice. We thank you for the gentle manner and the encouragement that you've brought to us today, that we can really rest in you. We can truly trust in you. When things are up and when things are down, we can lean into you. That, that there is coming, that everything that holds itself in high esteem will come to nothing, but more than that, everything that is good you will bring about the consummation of all things where you wrap up this evil world and make all things good. No more suffering, no more pain, no more heartaches, no more grief, no more sorrows. For the old order of things will pass away and the new will come. And in this hope and in this promise and upon your faithfulness, we rest our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Joseph.